If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning not to the book of Acts, but instead to the Gospel according to John. For the next four weeks, we'll be in John chapter 1. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have given us your word, your written word. But, oh, Father, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to understand what is written and to have our hearts uh, transformed so that we would desire more and more and have the ability to put what we learn, to put what you reveal into practice in our lives. So be pleased, Father, now to reveal yourself to us through your word and by your spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope uh, you did read Preparing for Worship. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't get it out until I think yesterday morning. Uh, Thanksgiving and the day after Thanksgiving was involved in a number of things, and so it was Uh, I didn't get it out on schedule on Friday, but I hope if you did see it, you took some time to read the something to think about quote. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, a a Scottish uh, pastor and theologian that many of us here are familiar with, has some interesting comments on on, uh, Christmas and and Christmas in the life of a Christian and and in the church, and he uses that great... um, uh, Latin expression, abusus non tolit usum, abuse of a thing does not uh, invalidate or take away its proper use. And he reminds us that uh, in order to really understand Christmas, get to God's word, and in particular, get to understanding the coming of Jesus into the world, the, the incarnation. Um, but if you ask the question, what is Christmas? Um, to some people, it's a holiday, to to some, it's, it's shopping. To others, it, it's, it's family. Um, the, the responses to that simple question, what is Christmas, range from the serious to the cynical. Uh, we've all seen the, the expression on, on a shopping bag of all things. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay, then who is Jesus? You see, we can't get away from what we looked at in the gospel according to Mark. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do and how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus. The Christmas story. The Christmas story is not that movie that many have seen years ago that just never ends. It's always there. The Christmas story. It's not that. No, the Christmas story is found in the scriptures, in the Bible, in God's word, and it's at once familiar and unfamiliar. Matthew starts off and gives a birth narrative of Jesus, and it goes back all the way to Abraham, but Luke takes it all the way back to the first man, Adam. When we were in Mark's gospel, we saw that Mark begins with uh, the ministry of John the Baptist, and then even in chapter 1, the public ministry of Jesus comes on the scene. But here in the fourth gospel, the gospel according to John, the apostle John goes back to the beginning. He goes back behind the scenes, so to speak, to eternity past. It's as if the curtain of time is lifted and we get to peer into these recesses all the way back to the beginning. And he does that in the prologue of his gospel, the first 18 verses. Um, 
The narrative in John's gospel really starts in verse 19, and so the first 18 verses are a prologue. It's, a, it's the beginning of a symphony, and it invites us. It lays out themes that we will see all throughout John. Now, it's been said about these first 18 verses of John that there is nowhere else in the whole New Testament that so much is said with such an economy of words. I enjoyed reading comments of Augustine and and Luther on the gospel according to John, and they all said in different ways that that it's, it's a pool safe enough for children to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to drown. That John is so simple that children memorize, for God so loved the world. But it's also what adults as they lay dying, want to hear, I am the resurrection and the life. The prologue, as I mentioned, introduces themes that will unfold in this account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And whereas the rest of John is about Jesus' earthly ministry, this prologue, these first 18 verses, is about not his earthly ministry, but his eternal identity. A few years ago, we... We uh, looked at John, First John, Second John, and Third John, and, and remember that John, in his letter, announces the purpose of his writing. He's writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes his letters so that you may know that you have eternal life. But turn with me back to over to John twenty. Here he tells the purpose of his gospel. In John uh, 20, beginning verse 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Written in order that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, people would have life in his name. Now before we uh, begin looking at our text for today, I want to read all of the prologue, verses 1 through 18. So please join me as you read along in your Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Well, before we begin to explore our text, we need to say something first about the mystery of the incarnation. Did you get the tune name of Of the Father's Love Begotten? Lower right-hand corner, in Latin, divine mystery. Even that hymn acknowledges the mystery. In uh, a well-known systematic theology uh, work by uh, a Dutch theologian, Herman Bavink, called The Doctrine of God, He starts off in chapter 1 with this title, God's Incomprehensibility. And he says this, according to scripture, God is incomprehensible yet knowable, absolute yet personal. He goes on to say, mystery is the vital element of dogmatics. The believer cannot fully comprehend revealed truth. He goes on to say, dogmatics has throughout to do with God, the incomprehensible. And then he says this, the fact that dogmatics has for its object the knowledge of God does not render it dry, but instead very fruitful and practical. So what is he saying? He's saying we're dealing with the subject of God. What God reveals, we are to know, to believe, and to live our lives by. The secret things belong to God, we read in Deuteronomy 29, 29. But the things he has revealed belong to us and our children. A few weeks ago, we sang a hymn, and it had this line, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore this strange design? In a few minutes, we're going to sing this, "'What a Savior, what a friend, what a glorious mystery.'" Now, although mysterious, again, we are going to look at God becoming man, revealing Himself the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh. Although mysterious, the incarnation is nonetheless absolutely important, fundamental. It's absolutely essential. What do the scriptures principally teach? Our catechism asks, the scriptures principally teach what we are to believe about God and what duty God requires of us. Our larger catechism, question 38 is going to ask this question, why was it requisite that the mediator, that is Jesus, should be God? In other words, why the divinity of God? Because that's what we're looking at here in John 1. Not so much the humanity of Jesus, but the divinity of Jesus, the divine nature. Remember in Mark's gospel, right in the middle, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? You remember the question before that was, who do people say that I am? It's an easy question. 
But then the real question is, who do you say that I am? It's a question that no one can escape. It's the ultimate question that you and I or anyone else is going to be asked. And so what we really believe about Jesus, what we believe about his incarnation, what we believe about Christmas understood biblically matters. Indeed, it's a matter of life and death. Here we are for the next four weeks in an Advent series, Christmas Presents. Today, we're going to be looking at who Jesus is. Jesus is from the beginning. Next week and the following weeks, we're really going to look at what Jesus did, uh, what he came to do, what he still does. Jesus is the life and the light. Jesus comes into the world and Jesus makes God known. Well, today we're going to explore verses 1 and 2. The words, as you will hear them read again, are simple and yet profound. Uh, Verse 2 just repeats and amplifies verse 1, and so we're going to focus our attention on verse 1. And let's dive into these waters where we'll find them shallow enough to to wade in, I believe, and, and be safe, but certainly deep enough as it were, dangerous enough to drown in. What does John teach about Jesus? Well, in presenting uh, this threefold word, we learn, first of all, of the eternality of Jesus, the pre-existence of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But before we begin to talk about that, we really need to skip ahead to verse 14. Look with me at verse 14 where Jesus is introduced and identified. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then you go down to verse 16. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, what's not a mystery in these first verses is that John is talking about Jesus. You see, this is why any text taken out of context can almost be be shaped and molded to mean what somebody wants it to mean. And yet when seen in the context, in in seen of the bigger Uh, bulk of the writing, the word that we see is identified as Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we need to look at verses 1 and 2 in view of, in light of what John will later say in verses 14 through 18. In the beginning, in the beginning, now every Jew would hear those words and be able to fill in the blank. Kids, if you were at school as a young Jewish boy or girl, and we're taking a fill-in-the-blank test, and you heard, in the beginning, every single one of you would be able to put God. In the beginning, God. It's an echo of Genesis 1.1, and yet we see it's going to be forward progress of the revelation and work of God. It's not a mistake that John starts in the beginning. It's not a coincidence. Rather, it's John being used of God to to push forward the redemptive history, this progress of God's revelation to man. It's the beginning of a new creation. 
that Paul would later write about in his letters. The new creation in Christ. It's, it's a new creation in the beginning. Now let's spend a few moments talking about the word. Because the word would mean something both to the Jewish audience and to the Greek audience. Of course, for the Jew, there's an Old Testament background. God, they knew, creates and rules by His Word. He reveals Himself by His Word. He rescues and delivers by His Word. His Word is His self-expression. It's a way that God conveys His thoughts to man through His Word. You see, if you took a survey of the Hebrew Scriptures, of the Old Testament Scriptures, you would see that the Word of God is God's powerful self-expression in creation, in revelation, in salvation. Everywhere you would go in the historical books, in the wisdom books, in the prophets, you would see the Word of God active. Now this word or this logos to someone in, in a Greek background would understand that, oh, John must be talking about the logos because it's everywhere in our literature, this philosophical principle of divine reason, this cause, the cause of it all, the logos. Scholars have attempted to say, what is going on here? What is this? A Hebrew thought? Is this a Greek thought? Well, the answer, of course, is it's both. John didn't need to get it from the pagan world, didn't need to get it from the Greek world. He got it, of course, from God's word. But, oh my, could it speak into this pagan world? Because John can apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure. His word the Word, the Logos, being none other than the person of His own Son. Now this is John's initial comments, remarks about the Word that he's going to identify later as none other than Jesus Christ. But what about Jesus? Did he think of himself as in the beginning was the Word? Well, if you turned over to John 17, 5, you would read this, And now, Father, as He speaks in that high priestly prayer, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus knows and understands his eternal nature. In the beginning was the word. So what? So what? Is this for just a theology exam? No, this is helping us see the godness, as it were, of Jesus. Jesus Christ, fully human, fully divine. And as we will talk about in a few minutes, no hope of salvation without it. So second, in addition to learning about the eternality of Jesus or the self, the pre-existence of Jesus, we, we learn of the fellowship of Jesus, the coexistence of Jesus. Where do we see that? The Word was with God. With God. That little preposition, with, kind of communicates towards. And it gives us an understanding that this Word that we will later see identified as Jesus Christ is a person that is distinct from God. God the Father, distinct. And yet, as we will see 
one with him. Here is the beginning of a, a Trinitarian theology. In our Confession of Faith, chapter 2 of the Holy Trinity, we read this. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Remember the Apostles' Creed? Remember the Nicene Creed? What do we believe about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Here is the beginning, as it were, of, a, of data, of evidence, of Trinitarian theology. So what? So what, you might ask? What does it matter, this Trinity? To be sure, a, a great mystery, but it is wonderful news, is it not? Because we see that God is not some sort of impersonal force. Rather, if God is not impersonal, what is He? He's personal. Some of you may have been familiar with um, the book, The Holy Trinity, a great book that just plums, starts to plums the depths of what it means that God is one, and yet God is three persons. And in it, the author makes a great argument that in the members of the Trinity, there is love. Love between Father and Son, between Spirit and Father and Son. There is, as it were, a union and communion of love. That love has to have an object. And so there could be no love without the Trinity. The God that Muslims worship is a God of power, a God of force. There is no love. Here is the relationship that this word was with God. This word that will be later fully identified as the second person of the Trinity. God in the flesh is in relationship with the Father. A, a great mystery, wonderful news. You know, we, we say that verse, we love because he first loved us. God is love. God is Trinity. J.C. Ryle, the bishop, the Anglican bishop of the, I think the 1800s, said this of this verse, verse 1. Happy is he who can receive it as a little child without attempting to explain it. Does that mean we shouldn't devote scholarly resources? Absolutely not. But here we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And third, in addition to the eternality and the fellowship of Jesus, we learn of the divinity of Jesus Christ, the, the deity of Jesus. The Word was God. Now, this has been a stumbling block for many for years, whether it's Arius, the earlier theo, theolo, theologian who, who said Jesus is truly the highest creation that God could have created, but he's not actually God. And thankfully, that error was identified and, and dealt with. But it's also with us when our doorbell rings, is it not? You know the drill, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they come to the door and they want to talk about their message. And they often will go and say to you, Orthodox Christians, no, uh, no, 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 John 1.1, 1, 1. no way, Jesus is not God, Jesus is a God. Now, 
we don't have the time to go into Greek grammar, but it's, it, this is a great translation. The word was God. The word was God. Not the word is a God. You see, the gospel of John begins here in verse 1 where he wants his gospel to end with an understanding that Jesus Christ is God. I write um, that, that, that the, this was written so that you may believe that what Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's where it ends, and this is how it begins. The Christ of time is introduced as none other than the God of all eternity. So what? So what, you may say? Again, Jesus Christ. Some people have problems with, is he really human? We heard earlier from Hebrews 4 that he can identify with his people. He can sympathize with us, tempted in every way, but without sin. Other people have a problem with his divinity. Is he fully God? He has to be man. He has to be God. There is no hope of salvation without it. Let me, in fact, read Larger Catechism 38. It's, it's worth it. Why was it requisite that the mediator, that is Jesus, should be God? It was requisite that the mediator should be God, that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience, and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a particular people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation. If you hear anything, hear this. John is presenting this Jesus Christ of Nazareth as none other than the second person of the Trinity, God himself. Here is Jesus in the threefold word, his eternal word, his personal word, and his divine word. Now, why do we have this description of Jesus as the threefold word, his pre-existent word, his co-existent word, and his, um, his uh, divine existent word? Why? Why? Well, what does it mean to know someone? Think with me. What does it mean to know someone? Well, I think we, we realize we can know about someone how? By observing them, right? We can know about someone by just observing them. However, you can only say that you know or really begin to know someone, what? When they speak to you. When they speak to you. You see, here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't help but think of revelation and speech and making known. Because God, in His eternal Word, in Jesus, has spoken and continues to speak now through His Word and by His Spirit. So children, I've got a question for you. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Uh, what do you expect to get for Christmas? Now, before you answer, here's 
the good news is that the Bible, the scriptures, God's word provides us with the answer. You see, the word that we see in John 1, 1, the word that was with God and the word that was God is also who? Emmanuel, God with us. The word that was with God and the word that was God is the word that is with us. Christmas presence. The Christmas presence of Jesus. It's the gift of Jesus for God so loved the world, what? That He gave His one and only Son. It's the gift. Jesus says what? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So these words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Why were these words written? Why? These were written. So that you and I may believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in His name. Well, today and every day, may we all rest in the presence of Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May we all rest in the presence of Jesus, the one who has promised to be with his people from now until eternity. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, these are great and encouraging words that we have heard, and yet we see immediately that there is a depth that would take lifetimes to understand completely. And so, Father, as we go forward in this series, as we continue to work our way through the first 18 verses of John, would you give us a firm footing on the truth of your word that we could indeed stand, and in standing, we could grow in our assurance of knowing Jesus and that we would grow in our desire and ability to communicate the good news of Christmas presence that can only be found in the person and work of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much that the word that was with God and the word that was God is also the word with us. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.